welcome to JR Out Loud, the podcast of Jewish Renaissance magazine. I'm very excited today because I'm welcoming the wonderful Jenna Algen to our podcast again. Thank you. <laughs> welcome back, I should say, probably. Oh, thank you very much. Good yeah. to see you again. It, with you, it's not always comedy and it's not always Jewish. But last yeah. time it was Bad Jews and that's a hard-hitting comedy. Since we last met, you've been in the knowledge... And before we met, you were in Chicken Soup with Barley. So that's your sort of Jewish credentials. But there's a lot more, isn't there? Yeah. Well, actually, those are the main Jewish roles I've played um, here in London. And, um, yeah, that's, it's, it's sort of half and half. I'm actually half Jewish, so um, my resume represents that. It's about half and half. That's about right then, isn't it? Yeah. And now you're in this astonishing comedy about a bank robbery. Um, for which you seem to have just about been in a murder mystery, I think, was preparation. That must be a bit different. Yeah. Is that right? You've been in that, uh, uh, one of those? Oh, or yes, I have, actually. Mm. Um, and that was uh, that was out in Arrow Rock, Missouri, ages ago. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was in a town of 53 people. Were they um, all there? They were all there every <laughs> night. Um, and, yeah, that was, gosh, I didn't think to be thinking about that today. Um, but I played a crazy Hungarian cook um, <laughs> in, in an Agatha Christie murder mystery. How um, on earth does that work in America? Because over here, you're, you know, you're, sorry, you're, we're celebrating you for your, your American accent quite a lot. But over there, so we you all have to do it with terribly English accents apart from you being Hungarian. How does it work? Yeah, um, well, yes, everybody did English accents. And um, I don't know, I actually, I don't, play American very often. Um, the two times are this and um, Bad Jews, which was a few years ago. So usually I'm British or something else. Um, in, in The Witches, I played a 90-year-old Norwegian woman. So what are you going to do? <laughs> you know? Right, okay. So you can do anything, really, can't you? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> um, now, in, in this, you're, you're playing... A mum. You're one of the only two women in. I, I don't know how to describe the comedy about a bank robbery, except that I've never seen anything move quite as fast. And it's like the Marx Brothers on speed, I think I would say. Or, I mean, other influences seem to be the airplane films, uh, and and it's just itself. I think it's I think it's a whole new genre that they've invented. The guys who who wrote these plays, don't you think? I do think so, but I also think they're trading on some really ingrained traditions in British comedy uh, and just comedy in general. I mean, the writers have done a really beautiful job of um, sort of nodding to all different tropes. Um, so when you come to this, you get all different sorts of comedy. So yes, you get follow-ons from Monty Python, um, you get uh, reminiscences of Faulty Towers and all that, but you also get some I Love Lucy, you get The Honeymooners, you get, you know, there's all different kinds of slapstick. The Marx Brothers are in there um, and farce and and all of that sort yeah, of thing. You've got the Whitehall farces that um, late lamented, I guess. We don't get them. So well, I think these, this is a worthy follow-on to that. But there's a lot of music as well, so, and a lot of different styles. So I think what they do is they're magpies, aren't they? They are, yeah. Mm. Um, and I think they've done a, a brilliant job of incorporating all those different flavors into this, which is, I mean, this is definitely a farce. Uh, it's definitely full of clown and slapstick, very silly. Um, but it's got all those different uh, 
traditions feeding into it. Um, and they're all acknowledged, uh, I think, and represented quite well. This show, I think, judging from when I saw it, has a following. It seemed to... A, it was packed. Sunday night. It's quite obscure. Um, then, And there was such a... It seemed to be loads of groups coming to it. I think yeah. they'd been before a lot of them. Have you, have you got a crack? We do. We actually do. Um, there are a couple that we know about, mm-hmm. and then um, some people do come back. Um, I met a group of French tourists who uh, had been back six times. The lady who came with them, who sort of seemed to be the organizer, she was so sweet and so complimentary, uh, and she seems to bring group after group back to see it. So that was really sweet to to know that we have that kind of, inspire that kind of loyalty. I think it's also that it's, well, it's French bars as well, isn't there? There's probably yes, a bit of that, that in there. Yeah. <laughs> but I, th- I think it's the sort of show that I can see why it would reward coming back. Because it's so fast, you might miss some of the fun and need to see it twice. Yeah, people have said that. Um, I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of friends come in and say that very thing, that they have to come back, they've got to see it again, and um, just to catch things, because it does go really quickly. But it is the kind of show that works best when it's fast. Um, if if we add too much air, then it sort of loses something. So um, to go quickly keeps it vibrant. Uh, storytelling is important, and there is one, isn't it? I mean, I think we've got some quite, well, we've got well-defined characters and a story. So it's a, of sorts, or actually, I think actually. I actually, mean, there are twists yeah. and turns, aren't there? I mean, do you have to keep a close eye on, on that, that you know, you know you're, you've got... I'm going to, going to talk about your character's trajectory, but she has got one. She has got one, but no spoilers. No, um, no, no, I promise, I promise. <laughs> right, that should make everyone want to come and see, because boy, is Jenna's character important. Well, they all are. Well, so, no, okay. <laughs> so let, oh, let's, no. Oh, dear. We'll yes, that's all that. I said. No, they yeah. all are. I just said that. Yeah, so okay. let's just... Can you just give a... Is there a possibility of an overview of the plot? Um, yes. Let me see if I can get my, my thoughts organized, because I always think of things from just Ruth's perspective. But oh, well, that's all right. <laughs> um, well, I'll, yeah, I'll talk about Ruth, yeah, I suppose. Well, tell us about Ruth and where she stands in relation to all this mayhem going on around her. Yeah. She's quite still a lot of the time, really. She is. Um, she's got a good head on her shoulders. She's, um, she's a Minnesotan bank teller. Uh, she's been working at the Minneapolis City Bank for years. Um, she lost her husband a while back, so she's the sole breadwinner in the family, and she's trying to keep strong for her son um, and earn money for him. And she's just a bit worried about her son, though, who's Sam Monahan, uh, because he's he's getting himself into a bit of trouble, uh, and he's hanging out with some shifty characters, and um, she wants to make sure that he gets back on the straight and narrow and gets a good, decent job and lives a good, decent life, you know. Meanwhile, is it a comedy about a bank robbery? A bank teller must be a teller in the bank where the bank robbery is going to happen? Or, or, or part, of that, part of that group? Oh, well, she's, I mean, she, she does notice everything that's going on around her. She's a very clever woman, and she's able to observe situations and turn them to her advantage um, pretty quickly. But that's something that gets established early on in, in the first act. You see that she gets thrown into a situation and she's able to sort of 
figure her way out of it quite quickly and, and get what she wants out Very of it. Very resourceful and thinks on her feet. Yeah, that's right. Now, let's talk about thinking on our feet. We haven't really... I think we'll go back to the plot in a minute, but it just moves so fast. I mean, basically, there is going to be a heist. They want to steal a, a fabulously priceless diamond belongs to a Hungarian? Oh, yes. So, yes, yes. <laughs> I've been talking about Ruth. Yeah. The plot... Yeah. Um, back at the plot. The actual plot is, um, is about, yes, there's a, a priceless Hungarian diamond, um, and by some stroke of luck, uh, Minneapolis City Bank is, becomes the house for that diamond um, during its tour of the United States. Um, and so... One of the shiftier characters, um, Mitch Ruschetti, he's bent on getting the diamond um, for himself, and uh, and then he enlists uh, his crew, and and they all they all have a slight connection to the bank because um, that well they have to, and that's where yeah, it's housed. it's got to be an inside job. And yeah, that, that's right. There's a bank copper and all that as well, isn't there? That's right. Um, yes, we call them coppers. I mean, policemen. There's <laughs> Officer Shuck yes. and. Um, yeah. Officer Shuck is is very special to Ruth in a lot of ways. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, if you're one of the only two women in it, there's going to be a bit of romance coming your way if you're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Ruth deserves it. You know, mm. she's been she's been alone for a long time, and she's been fighting for her son for a long time, and um, and staying strong, and and so I think she deserves a little romance in her life. Mm. When she gets that in the form of Officer Chuck. Yeah. Well, it, what's interesting is that we are actually talking characterization here and all that sort of thing, which is obviously part of preparation for everything. But the preparation here must include some massive precision because this is precision far. I know, I know mm. you you were saying to me earlier, well, I don't do all that stuff, but you must you are a bit involved, um, <laughs> yeah. to say the least. And I, I was just astonished at the speed at which it moved and the sheer physicality of it whilst there's all this lightning dialogue going on. That's why, I, I, to me, the Marx Brothers is the closest thing because I know yeah. there's that sort of precision behind what they do. So uh, w how long did it take you to rehearse in a thing like that? Well, we only had about... I think we had about four weeks of rehearsal. Um, yeah, and so because it's so intricate, we um, we had to really focus on those big sort of choral scenes where mm. people are, you know, slamming doors and coming in really quickly. And um, also just for health and safety, we had to do a lot mm. of the stunts over and over and over again. Um, and so in terms of rehearsing the scenes, we sort of we didn't really get a chance to to build them or rehearse them. We were sort of put into them, and then we just did them. We just had to run and run and run. And um, and I think by about the third week of doing the show, oh. I figured out what I was doing. You know? yeah. But um, there's a lot going on. And, and Ruth's track, um, she has to do a lot of set moving as well. So you're never still. It's never... You're on stage, but then when you're off, um, well, actually, she does have a little bit of a break in, at the end of Act One. But you know, you're you're handing things off to people backstage, mm -hmm. which have to eventually get to someone else that's on stage. And but all of us are doing that all the time. So 
I think that is part of, it may, I mean, obviously it's hard for you, but it's part of the fun. I mean, you're going to have a much better company spirit and you're going to be much more one with all of us in the audience if we know you're doing everything. It's very alienating for a whole lot of scene shifters to come on and do that. And so I think it's part of it. And I think yeah. that's part of the glory of it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, what's so special about this um, this sort of thing is it's, it's really all hands on deck. Mm. And um, you see that, you see the participation and you feel it, it, it that's also true of the audience. Um, the, the more willing to participate an audience is, the better the show goes. So um, we've had, and we've been blessed, we've had really wonderful, enthusiastic audiences um, who are very much up for it, very up for a party, very much up for a silly, fun evening. And it really helps the show fly um, when we feel that response coming from them. It's just when everybody in the room is having a great time and going at that pace, it's, it can really fly and yeah. do well. It's a wonderful script for being full of bad puns, isn't it, as well? <laughs> oh, it is. It's really terrible. I mean, everybody loves a bad pun, don't they? Yeah. I can't try to think of one of them. I think there's running puns of you. You know the, the same mistake again and again, isn't it? There, there are so many, mm. um, and it's it's sort of a litmus test as well for us um, because depending on what the reaction is like each night to each <laughs> terrible pun, some of them are great, um, but some of them are less good, and some of them are more silly than others. For example, and oh, um, give me an example. Oh no, I can't because I don't want to spoil anything. No, um, but there's one. Uh, the icebreaker scene I think is so brilliant at the beginning because we can really get a bead on exactly how silly we can go, you know, each night and how because um, sometimes the audience is more attuned to listening to the story and that's they find their way into the comedy that way sometimes they're really attuned to um, the clowning and the slapstick nature of it, so audiences vary in terms of which sort of brand of comedy they seem to respond to more so but but that's why the opening scene is so brilliant because we can really hear how how silly they're willing to be literally ice-breaking and metaphorically ice-breaking yes exactly yeah. better explain um, very very without giving up too much away as they say Oh, well, I guess um, we start off in a, a Canadian prison um, with uh, Mitch Ruskitty, um, our sort of anti-hero. And he, uh, he breaks out of prison, but um, a lot of the... I, I can't really say too much, mm -hmm. but a lot of the beginning is a lot of terrible, sometimes great puns. And, but it's a good way to immediately set up the silliness and the comedy of it. Um, and it's it's basically just um, one of the officers misunderstanding um, every single thing that's said to him and uh, going the other way. It sort of sets the benchmark, though, doesn't it, as I said. Physically, there are things in there that you cannot imagine. There's a, a bed that folds into the wall. I've seen the odd folding bed in my life with people in it in a far. Mm. This is on another level, quite literally. I mean, there are levels of... Yeah. I've feared for your safety, that those who are stuck in different bits of the bed. I've never seen anything like it, really. Yeah, well, um, we always get that response. Yeah. Yeah. But that, I mean, 
maybe it's not as dangerous as it looks, but it sure looks it. But it's, it, 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 you know, you're sort of gasping and laughing at a thing like that, I think. Yeah, mm. um, well, I mean, we do it so much. And again, I'm lucky. I don't, I don't have any of those really crazy stunts. Mm. But, um, but we do it so much. And uh, yes, we've, we have rehearsed it so much. Mm. And everyone who does it um, has rehearsed it so much that we're, we're in a pretty good groove with it, I think. But you'd have to ask the people who actually have to do it. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, so there's another... I mean, these are all wonderful tropes that people might recognise. There's the thing where you're, some, somebody is trying to frantically signal what the right answers are to questions that, uh, towards the end, isn't there? Um, I think it's the, the girl... You know, there are two people talking to each other, and mm. she's trying to signal what the right answer is to all these questions. Oh, yes, the but of course, that's another minefield, isn't it? That, yes. So, so and again, I don't want to give too much no, away, but these are tried and tested ideas, but yes. I've, I've never seen quite as many of them in one place before. Yeah. When I first read the script, um, I, I couldn't stop laughing. I got mm. to that scene, and I just. Mm. I was in hysterics and my housemates were worried about me because I was just <laughs> on the floor of my room just laughing hysterically. What does it look like on paper, actually? I mean, did, does it, it have... Is it full of stage directions? Um, yes, yes and no, but the rhythm really comes across mm. beautifully and that's what I was so struck by was I was... I, I thought it was so very funny and so very fast um, and that comes across. So even when you're reading the descriptions of what's happening, it, it somehow didn't take away from the rhythm of the dialogue in my head. I just yeah. thought it was brilliant. It's a team of people behind it, isn't it? It's these three guys, they're all men, is that right? Yeah, um, so the three writers are Henry Shields, Henry Lewis, and Jonathan Sayer. Um, and they're the writers behind the play that goes wrong, and Peter Pan goes wrong, and all the wonderful things um, mm. Mischief has done and is doing. Um, so, yeah, it's it's essentially they're the ones who who write it, but there's also a core um, Mischief theater company that um, s develops everything. Ah, oh, yes, of course, development, yes. Yes. So, so yeah. If we did that, then we could do this, that sort of stuff, yes. Yeah. And, and uh, I saw a troupe in Australia once that I will never forget called Legs on the Wall, who entirely did everything on, um, not vertical, if you see what I mean, they did everything horizontally, that's why they were called Legs on the Wall. And the only thing I've ever seen that's anything like that is this weird scene where perspective is all wrong and different oh, right, in, in yeah. this as well which is the, just the greatest joy. And I just, you know, I just wonder you know, how anybody, A, thinks of it, and then B, works out how to do it. But yeah. yeah, it's, it's mm. delightful. Again, mm. when I was reading the script, I just thought, that's mm. totally brilliant. <laughs> what a risk. <laughs> yes. yeah. Yeah. And then, as if that wasn't enough, you've got song and dance as well, and it's the same idea, it's the same magpie thing of the doo-wop, and there's harmony, and I think gospel, there's all sorts, isn't there? Yeah, mm. that's right. Um, so mainly the music is set. It's mostly fifties doo-wop. Mm. So um, because we're we're in Minneapolis in nineteen fifty-eight, mm. uh, which I don't think I mentioned. No, I beginning. think we should probably have yeah. mentioned that. It's very it is, important. It's a period piece. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so the so all the music reflects um, that wonderful period in music history. Mm. And um, so we've got uh, 
dynamite and we've got I mean there's the two things I was saying are dynamite and um why don't you do right and um why don't you do right I I remember auditioning for this and um I had always sung that song. I'd, I'd, when I was very little, I saw Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which actually, there's a lot of that movie mm, in this. I thought of that. Um, yes, cartoons like that. It's cartoony, yeah. yeah. Very cartoony, the wrong trousers, all those. Yeah, that's right. Mm. And um, so I got really taken with the character of Jessica mm. Rabbit when I was little, and um, so immediately learned that song. And then so all my life I've been singing this song, in uh, piano bars and cabarets and things like that. So when um, when it came to the audition and I saw that I needed to sing Why Don't You Do Right, I was like, great. Mm. Um, would you like to hear it? And I said, sure. So. And you got the part on And I got the part. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. you get to sing it four times a weekend. Yeah, that's right. Eight times a week, four times a weekend. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, we, we, that's your public, didn't necessarily know you could sing, did we? So, but that's a big thing in your life, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, I always have ended up singing in things. I've always been a singer, um, but I haven't really been... It just hasn't worked out that I've been in mu many mm. musicals yet. Mm. So um, I did them all my growing up. Oh, go on, tell me course. what ones you watch. Oh, favorite? no, stop. Uh, <laughs> it's just uh, high school thing. Sometimes stuff. Yes, actually, um... I would say that, yes, I would say that that's sort of a big goal, is mm. a lot of song time, please. Mm. Um, Someone's listening, I hope. So, yes, please. I'm waiting for the day when I can play Mrs. Lovett, but until oh, that time. you are really going <laughs> to yeah. be good. Please yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so um, I'm just going to throw that out into the universe mm. right now. I did uh, all the stuff in high school, so I did... Adelaide and Guys and Dolls and Mary Flynn and Merrily We Roll Along and what else? Oh, Winifred and Once Upon a Mattress, all that stuff. Oh, so lovely. I was always doing mm. that. Um, but yeah, ever since uh, drama school, I hadn't really been in full-on musicals. And this, I mean, even this is not, this is a play with music in, but it's, it's the first time I've been really seen and labeled as a singer um so it's nice it's a lovely thing to do yeah. i just wanted to talk about um there's the, the one wonderful jewish joke in this not exactly a jewish joke but your son with his multiple personalities is suddenly greeted as um, ha, good morning rabbi i think it is something like. yeah that's right yeah and and, he, and someone calls him rabbi goldstein and as as I was saying to you earlier, I know at least two of those quite well, actually. <laughs> right. So Goldstein's, I mean, not Rabbi. Right. So, uh, so that, that's, and it's a great joke, but um, y your background isn't so Jewish, is it? But, no, I'm, hmm. I'm half Jewish, so um, my dad is and my mom isn't. Um, but I, I was definitely raised mm. with... Um, a sense of my half Jewish identity and um, my I went to all the family functions mm -hmm. so I went to bar mitzvahs and we had Passover at my aunt's house every year and, and all that so um, and we're, we're not a religious family um, totally but um, I did have exposure to both holidays so it would be a two holiday household 
Hanukkah and Christmas and Easter and Passover. <laughs> and, you know, so that was actually really nice. <laughs> so your ambitions are to, to be in musicals? Uh, n- well, I mean, I just, I would just like to work. Um, but You're going to be doing a lot of that. I touch wood, your mouth's God's ear. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, uh, no, I really, I also really love Shakespeare. Um, and I would love to do a lot more classical. Um, I've done it, but I miss it. I want to do more. And um, that's where my real passion began. Um, mm. I Actually, my first experiences of theater were in Gilbert and Sullivan, <laughs> which is perfectly oh, situated love to this. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and it's great. Um, I think there's, yeah. I actually think there's Gilbert and Sullivan in this as I well, for so. sure. Yeah. Because yeah, that's daft fast, but so precise. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and just very, very silly, very mm. topsy-turvy. Silly is good. Uh, yeah, it really is. Mm. So um, those are my first theatrical experiences because um, my parents, my, my father is a molecular biologist, a very brilliant molecular biologist. Um, but he loved doing, uh, he, he loved singing in the chorus mm. of a semi-professional Gilbert and Sullivan troupe we had in our vicinity. Um, and my mother always played all the leads, um, all the, um, you know, ingenues and stuff. Mm. So uh, my f- very first experiences would have been, um, you know, at, at their rehearsals of mm. Gilbert and Sullivan. So British comedy was in there early, but what really got me obsessed and um, excited and passionate about theater was I had the great good fortune in my little town to participate in a, a Shakespeare troupe for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a lovely lady in my town who started this troupe and mm-hmm. we all just learned, and it was very early, it was at, it was at the right moment in childhood where you really absorb well, which things. moment tell me oh i don't How know old were you no no i mean i was know, I, I was about 10 to 12 mm. so um so it just kind of got mm. in my head and under my skin and we learned a lot of different monologues and um soliloquies and uh scenes and then we would learn all of each other's parts and we we performed little plays and but it got in there you know the quality of which who knows but it those rhythms and that text really got in there and and it sort of set me on that track so is that why we've, we're lucky enough to possibly have got you for keeps over here? Oh, the land of Shakespeare? Touch wood, touch wood. Because um, uh, you can do British so well, can't oh, you? Oh, thanks. Well, I mean, I've, I've been lucky. I've, um, I've worked British, I've worked American. Um, and You've done British Jewish, American Jewish, yeah. non-Jewish. Uh, yeah, yeah, any of that. And a Norwegian recently, yes. um, of all things. You mustn't um, forget the Norwegian. Mustn't forget the Norwegian. You're, you're awfully good at the Jewish stick. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Know, you. I mean, I've seen you do it several times now. Thank you. Three times, in fact, yeah. Did so you see the knowledge as well? Yeah, I did. Oh, right. yeah. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so that, I mean, it's there, isn't it? I don't think it's just one of your sticks. I think it's an oh, important really. stick. Oh, yeah, it's very much, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to play anything that comes along, but yes, again, I'm... I, I come by it honestly. So, coming towards the end now. Thank you so much for talking to me for JR Out Loud, Jenna. Oh, cheers! Thank you, Judy.